Disclaimer, we are not licensed professionals. The conversations we have about our mental health and well-being come from our own personal experiences. We hope these open conversations will encourage our audience to take notice and ownership of their own mental and emotional well-being. And maybe, just maybe, provide some cathartic laughs along the way. Welcome back to Therapy Check. My name is Andrea and I'm accompanied with Breezy. And today we're going to talk about sexual education and how they taught these topics in school was just wrong all around. So if you're a future employer, please don't listen to this. <laughs> yeah. So first thing that comes to mind when I'm thinking about like sex ed and all that stuff is just it's always hush hush like even then you had to just kind of do a disclaimer and that in itself is what I think mostly contributed to the fact that to this day I am still learning stuff about my body yeah and not in a and not in a fun like spiritual oh my goodness I know what I'm capable of I know my limits it's more like a oh damn I have a urethra too <laughs> like type of stuff And it's just tragic, especially when you think about this is something that we all need to know because it's a part of life. It's going to be a part of life in one way or another. But my first question, I guess, is then when did you start? Like what, what age in school in your school district did you start doing like sex ed So for me, it's a little different because I also grew up in Mexico. I lived in Tijuana for a few years, so I've kind of had education from both. But they started teaching us about like, just like the reproductive anatomy. Let me, I'm trying to think. I was in elementary school and I remember this one project where we had to go and buy plastilina. So it's like Mm Play-Doh and like outline the reproductive organs label them correctly and that was like my project and I remember that just like having to go to the store La Papeleria for y'all who have gone or lived in Mexico y'all know what that is buy the play-doh and then like having to outline everything and then label it correctly and then the next day going to school and everyone had different colors play-doh of like the reproductive organs and they were just quizzing us on like what everything was called so that was my first memory of learning and I guess I still hadn't really hit me. I'm like, oh, this is just another thing we have to learn about. But it just didn't really hit what it was. Mm-hmm. And then flash forward to, I think they kind of taught us, but not really. Like at this point, I had moved back to the States. I was in Oregon. I think the next time I had any other form of education on sex ed was like junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything before that was just a huge gap when it came to education in school Mm. what about you breezy it's it's really interesting to hear that you like started learning in elementary school because elementary school it was almost taboo like obviously there's a like the social stigma in every level when it comes to talking about sex or just bodies or any of that 
it always exists, but the fact it's shocking that it would be talked about in elementary school because I can already see what would have happened in my school district. You'd have had somebody's mom go into a PTO meeting being like, my son does not need to know what a vagina is at age whatever. And then that would be done. And so as a result, I think for my school district, they went in three parts. So it was, you had sex ed or health classes, um, focusing specifically on that aspect for three years, sixth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. And it wasn't for the full year. It was for maybe a term because we had semesters at that point. So sixth grade, it would be the talk about, hey, kids, there are different genitals. <laughs> what are genitals? But it was Bill Nye, the science guy. Not even, nah, Bill wouldn't do me like that. It was more Sesame Street. It was like, we are not the same. Yeah. <laughs> and here, make a, make a list of how boys and girls are different. And then we talk about like, boys have deeper voices. And girls have, what was it? They have smaller. Just like that, those kind of conversations. And then eighth grade. I don't know why they did this. I don't know why they did this. It was not necessary. We were given a health book. We had to read the trimesters of pregnancy and then we watched a birth video. I don't know why I needed to watch a baby being born. I know a lot of us closed our eyes. It was so uncomfortable, so jarring, but that's how we started. We dove into like, this is, this is what pregnancy is. The baby starts to grow. The baby is there. The baby is born. Here's a video. And then ninth grade was the, I argue, was the year when sex really started becoming a possibility in the administration's mind. They're like, oh yeah, these kids might be, might be doing some things. So let's scare the hell out of them. Yeah. So yeah, ninth grade was defined by mostly terrifying pictures of disease and so I'm very happy. I'm very proud to this day, which might be dangerous now that I think about it, because I need to know what these things look like, you know, just in case I encounter them in the wild. <laughs> but I don't really know what any of the nasty diseases look like, because when they did that slideshow, I said, nope, <laughs> I cannot see. <laughs> and all these things and my eyes glued shut. I said, education, I don't want to learn today. <laughs> And the last thing, the only, like, memorable thing, and this was also a scare tactic, was we had a, like, a couple years before I had gone, gotten in ninth grade, we had the dreaded teen pregnancy. Yeah. And so, I don't know what this teacher was thinking, but this male health teacher decided to ask this girl, like, so what is your life like? And so she broke it down, like, where she has to spend her money, like, all of that stuff. Yeah. Like how how much she spends in a day and presented it to the class, which I think now is probably problematic and shouldn't have forced her to put that on. Yeah, very problematic. Blast like that. But so his whole thing was he made all of us do a baby project where we had to research how much rent was going to cost us, where we were going to get a job, how many hours we were going to work, where we'd get baby clothes, how we'd af how we afford 
baby food, insurance, health insurance, all that stuff. And we had to do an entire project. It was like a 15 page project and we'd present it and it'd be our baby project. And I remember doing that. I remember going into Goodwill and being like, yes, I got it. Cause everyone's like, I spent over $150 on baby clothes at Target. And I was like, I spent $60 and got a full wardrobe at Goodwill kind of thing. I didn't, I didn't actually buy the clothes, but it was, yeah. it was like one of those make-believe projects. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was sex education. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Going a little bit off topic, just sexual education that I had with my family, then how they taught me everything, is that I am really grateful to have a pretty like open-minded family. Even though it's like, like, oh, you're first generation immigrant and like, it's very like shunned upon, but like, that's not my experience growing up, at least with my direct family. It was kind of like that with like my, my tios and my tias, but with my parents, it wasn't like that, especially with my dad. Like this man started giving me the talk when I was in elementary school, almost every other week, he would be like, Andrea, we need to talk this could happen and these other things could happen but I just need and he was very like I understand that you're gonna grow up and you might have sex later on in the future but I just want you to be safe he's like you need to use protection you need to do this so for like two years this man would just give me the talk constantly my parents have always been really accepting when you know things happen I didn't tell them but when they found out they were like okay and I thought they were gonna be mad that was my expectation that's why I didn't tell them but then when they found out, they were like, you know, it's normal. So watch, that was an interesting experience for me. Wow, that's amazing. Because I, up until what, winter? Mm-hmm. No, two years ago. Winter two years ago, like my junior year, I got the talk from my dad, who was high. He walked into my sister's room and was like, hey, I'm going to give y'all the talk. And I'm over here, like... A little too late. For both of us, really. Yeah. And he's like, animals know how to do it, so y'all figure it out. What the... That was the talk. Jesus. I'm so sorry. (laughs) When parents did find out, they were not happy. They tried to be mature and, like, not judge or be like, oh, okay. But they had, like, you ever look at someone and be like, oh, I know you have more to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know that is not all you want to say. That was that was my parents. I <laughs> I remember a specific person in ninth grade teaching me all of my parts. Mm-hmm. In ninth grade, Neil, he was randomly talking in the hallway and he was like, yo, you know, girls got like three holes, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And I was over there like, what? Yeah. And he's still talking about it. He's like, yeah, they pee out of one. They bleed and have a baby out of the other. And then, you know, the other one. And I was sitting there like, you're telling me I don't pee out of my vagina? I was sitting there like, yeah, a long time. And then it also like, it also never made sense to me. I was like, damn, do you not pee when you're pregnant? Or is that why you have to pee all the time? Because it's the same hole. Like, there were so many gaps. There were gaps that one, talking about it was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? Like, why do you want to talk about it? That's so gross. Oh my gosh, I'm so uncomfortable. Please don't talk about it. It was one of those type of energy. And on top of that, it was one of those, 
you filled in the blanks by, if you're me specifically, <laughs> random high school boys talking about it because they mm-hmm. have no filter. Mm-hmm. Um, fan fiction. <laughs> and the occasional day where you decided to really read your health or health book in depth. Mm-hmm. That is the only way you were learning about it because nobody ever talked about it. Mm-hmm. And this is a big theme that you'll notice in sex ed. It is very androcentric. And let me just break that down for y'all real quick. Andro means male, centric, you know, centered. It is all about men. Like you learn about this in the medical field. The basis of the body or how we're taught about it is that men are like the prototype and women are like a deviation or like a mistake. Which, if you know anything about science, baby, we have nipples because we all start off female in the womb, so... And also the Y chromosome is unstable in about 2 million years. It's going to go extinct because it's just going to unwind itself. But I digress. (laughs) I get heated about that. I get so mad when I hear the whole Adam and Eve thing or like specifically not the Adam and Eve thing, but the whole idea that men are superior and women are lesser than men. And I'm like, baby... I came first, I'm the prototype, I'm the ideal type, and y'all a mutation, okay? And not in a fun X-Men kind of way. <laughs> and also, let's talk about the fact that everyone knows how to draw, like, the fallopian tubes and the ovaries in the uterus, but doesn't know their way around the vagina. Yeah. And it, that was one of the weirdest things to me, where it's like, I know the inside of male genitalia, I know the outside. I know, like, I had to draw it, I had to label it, but with the female stuff, it's like, we'll give you half of it. You just get the internal parts. Everything else, a mystery. Mm-hmm. It took me forever to realize that, oh, everyone's different, and then I hate this, like, I don't know if you've ever seen Jane the Virgin, but they have this metaphor of, like, the flower and all this, and then Like, why is it men that get to do whatever they want and then we have to preserve this thing? And if we don't, then, like, we are, quote-unquote, ruined. I think it really comes down to the idea that it's just sexual currency. And as a result, you have this whole gross market attitude towards women because they're now they're no longer people they are a commodity and so you want the freshest the bestest the purest the everything like stamp seal of approval never been touched that's the attitude that has existed for centuries it's really really gross and as a result because they're virgins pure untouched don't know anything about the world they need a guiding hand they need an experienced man And that's what it comes down to. Men are not held to the same standard as like protect your virginity because the expectation is you need to find someone that you don't care about who's not going to be in your life for very long to practice with so you get better and more proficient at taking somebody else's virginity. Heteronormativity in its ties with the patriarchy and male-centric views is some of the most pedophilic, gross non-consensual misogynistic thing to ever exist that I genuinely think about it and people who defend it I'm like oh you drank that Kool-Aid sweetie like you are in deep I don't think we'll ever get you out my thing is like with other women that like encourage it 
or there was this one girl in college that there's like this situation came up as an RA where a student, a male student was harassing a woman in the dorms. We were just the two of us, the RAs, we were just talking amongst each other. I was like, like, I hate men, like, this is terrible what he's doing. And then she looks at me in the eyes and she says, sorry, I'm not a feminist. And I'm like, what? So that's some pick me energy. That's some pick me. (laughs) That's some, so choose me, love me type of energy. That is a hundred percent. And it, I get it because it is, it is also a survival tactic. You ingratiate yourself upon a system or you become what a system is looking for to make your value, your self-value, your sexual currency skyrocket. So Mm -hmm. I understand that, but I don't understand how once you take that red pill, once you wake up to it, you're just like, okay, I will continue to be this way. I now know the systems that we operate in and I'm happy with that. I, that's one of the things that I don't understand. And personally, when people say I'm not a feminist or any of that stuff, um, I just look at them and I'm like, so you hate yourself and you hate me because of the genitalia we have between our legs and the genders we were assigned at birth. Okay, I don't need you in my life. Mm-hmm. I do not support women who don't believe that I don't have a right or shouldn't have certain rights because they want to look desirable to men absolutely not and it's terrible when those people are like in your life in your family you know so wanted to talk about abstinence only education and i had some statistics so this information comes from kaiser family foundation says 24 states and dc mandate sex education for youth 37 states require that when taught sex education must include abstinence and 26, which require that it be stressed. 13 states require that the information taught in sex education be medically accurate, only 13. And 18 states and DC require that when sex education is taught, information on contraception be provided. And I tell you this, 100% of those states, that is all penis to vagina sex. 100% penetrative sex that is obviously heteronormative but also ableist why teach something if you're not going to teach it true to form that is like when professors or teachers do that where they're like i'm teaching you this the homework will look nothing like this in fact the test will look nothing like this like why are you teaching it then teach to the reality in which we live and there's always a misconception of virginity yeah i think also a key definition of the the system which virginity is created out of or thrives out of because it's not biological is a win-lose situation men win a virginity they take it it's a we got it like oh have you heard those conversations because i've heard those conversations like yeah like i was her first yeah like oh gross but then it's always taught from a from the other side is like I lost. It was taken from me. The language aside, that sounds real, real scary. Yeah. And I think it really plays into rape culture. Mm-hmm. This idea of taking and losing. Yeah. There is always going to be a winner and a loser. 
when it comes to sex. And these are, and I'll I just remind the audience, these are things we are discovering as we learn about, have never explicitly been talked about, never been taught, hey, this is how the system is set up. These are things you learn through living in this system. And that's, that's the issue I have with sex ed. Like this right here, this conversation between us is a form of sexual education mm-hmm. that we will never be taught. And most likely our juniors in school, our fellow classmates, all of that will never have been taught either. Yeah. This is all lived and learned experiences. And I really hope this is a resource for y'all. And it's like a big sister talking, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's very unfortunate because you should be learning this in school. Yeah. I, I want to make this point, and this is kind of like the scary theme of it all. This is one of the things in life that is very dangerous to use a live and learn method with. Yeah. This is something you do not want to just like, oh, I had to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. I had to have firsthand experience to finally wrap my head around this. This is one of the things that I personally believe, and I think a lot of people will agree, you should not be walking in blind to. It is a dangerous thing to just walk into, and I feel like, I think there's more training and knowledge that goes into learning how to operate a vehicle than operating in your own body. Yeah. And something I really wanted to touch on really quickly is that we never really taught what consent looks like. I think we've all watched the tea video they showed. And I didn't watch that until like sophomore year of college. You Being in situations that like you shouldn't be having to learn it the hard way. But I had to learn the hard way is like learning that what happened wasn't consensual. And then learning that afterwards, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Mm -hmm. often there's the guilt of like, you should have dressed differently. You shouldn't have been drinking. You shouldn't have been doing this and that. And the guilt that goes behind all of that. But then when you, a thing I brought up with my therapist is like, well, I guess I was okay with it. But then she really challenged me. She's like, were you really okay with that? Because you weren't really in a state to say yes, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When it comes to consent, I I was taught, and one of my favorite YouTubers talks about this a lot. Her name's Kenny JD, which is like toxic relationships and stuff like that, as shown in films, specifically films geared towards teens and young, like young-minded folks, is that you're supposed to be flattered or feel a sort of power if your partner is begging or is trying to persuade you, or it's supposed to be cute and endearing. Like you have one route being portrayed as like, you have this power over this person. I was I was specifically taught about this mostly when I first learned what blue balls were, mm. which I still don't know if are actually real or just a male's way of guilting people into sexually gratifying them. Being like, it hurts, I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah please i come to you now as a blue balls denier <laughs> i don't believe it's real <laughs> i don't i don't care what evidence you show me it is not real <laughs> because it has always been used as a way of either guilting 
guilting or trying to make you feel like, oh my goodness, goddess, you powerful sexual deity, you have this control over me, only you can release me from this hell, from this prison. So that's one route that is portrayed. Mm -hmm. The other is the whole, the gross, if you love me, if this is love you signed up for when you agreed to be in this relationship with this person, to all of that. It has always been shown in film and media as just, yeah, this is how it's going to be. Another thing we can talk about is the fact that men are completely erased from that other side of things as being the ones who are pressured, as being the ones who are, you know, forced into dubious consensual situations. That's another issue. It's always seen as like prey, predator, or, you know you have this opportunity to make this person feel good and, you know, reaffirm your bonds of love. Um, Why aren't you doing it? If you don't do it, then you're the problem. If you don't, or specifically a thing that's said, Pretty Little Liars, Gossip Girl, it's like, well, I mean, you were asking for it. You were asking to be cheated on. You were asking to be broken up with because you didn't put out. Yeah. If you really loved him, well, obviously you didn't really love this person because you didn't do these things. So you can't be upset when they decide to leave yeah and the thing about you saying that is that I have experienced these things in real life Mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of us have and there was this situation where I was with a previous partner and I had to teach him what consent was because he was under the impression that if you're in a relationship rape didn't exist and that's scary that's terrifying yeah and then at the moment I think me with my pink glasses on, you know, miraba la vida color de rosa. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I didn't see it as problematic, but then it was it's not until you get out of that situation and that relationship where you're like, hold up, that was messed up in so many ways. It's the equivalent of being in the lion's den and trying to reason with the lion, like, hey, you shouldn't actually eat people. That's like not, like, that's not okay. Once again, something we're never taught to have a conversation about. I think one of the things that I want to just say, and this is another thing too for like audience and stuff like that, the rhetoric may come off as very anti-male and man, but I can only speak from my experience as a person who is not a man or male identifying This is the reality I live. These are the themes that come up. And these themes are oftentimes very centered around patriarchy and masculinity because that is what I interact with willingly and unwillingly. And so I can only speak from my perspective. And these are the bodies and the peoples who have harmed me. And so if it seems very anti-male, then I think what, what my English teacher would say is, You're close. You're this close to finding the theme or the commonality between all of these stories. So dig a bit deeper. This is also my experience and how I've been personally used by men. My feelings, my needs, everything being completely disregarded because I have to be this mother role for them, this educator for them when they should have been educated by one the system and by themselves. Like it gets to a point where you're old enough to educate yourself or see the perspectives of other people. It gets to a point where you just can't use what you've been through. You can't use your own traumas to traumatize others. Yeah. 
You cannot use your own traumas to traumatize others. Unsolicited advice of the day. That's, that's that. I, that is something that I encounter a lot in the world where people really use all the stuff that they've been through to justify or excuse themselves from putting you through terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Part of me is like, I mean, it gives context. You know, they obviously weren't in their right mind. They're obviously going through something. They're obviously flawed. And I have to take that into consideration. But I also have to realize that doesn't give them an excuse, a valid or justified excuse to do what they did to me or do what they did to others. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea of like, I was bullied in school, so now I bully others. So that should make you the biggest advocate of anti-bullying. Yeah. Make it make sense. By saying that, they're completely taking off the idea that I was also going through trauma. I went through a lot, but I didn't put that on you. You know, I never did these things to you. So it's often that I probably had it worse than you did. And I still would never do that to you. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are listening and hearing this, and you're thinking of a specific person in mind or somebody is a blipping on your radar. I'm just saying, <laughs> do with that information what you will. You could write a letter. <laughs> Hell, <laughs> start a podcast. <laughs> But the, just listening to you, Angie, just listening to you talk, I was like, I got names. I got lists. Yeah. I got faces. I got social security numbers in my head right now. <laughs> I know. And like, as I said, this has all been lived experience. I lived through these. I learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. I think that all boils down to why this podcast exists. And also for me personally, why my career goals are the way that they are. I became an RA to fill the gaps I felt that my RAs left for me. I'm becoming an educator to fill the gaps I felt that my teachers left for me. This podcast exists to fill the gaps that we feel like we're in our entire lives. All right, one more topic we wanted to talk about is birth control and the stigma around it. I don't know about you, Breezy. I don't know if you've been on birth control, ever consider it. But when I first started, it wasn't until my freshman year of college and I had to hide it from my parents. I went on the pill and whenever I would go back home from school, I would like have to hide it. Also, I used to be friends with this one girl where her mom discovered her birth control and it was hell on earth. So her response was to be like, oh, it's Andrea's. So I had to like take the blame for it. So I was just like, you know what? Yeah, whatever. I, I do take birth control. That wasn't mine. That was hers. But I'll just take the fault for it. So it's just like this very like stigmatized that, I mean, a lot of girls start and they do it for the other benefits it has and to take control of their own body. Mm-hmm. And yeah, oftentimes, the, even just the conversation about birth control, we have to remind ourselves that that is one of the things, like just how you talk about it, it's usually like birth control. And that only means specific items. Like, call it what it really is. It's taking control of your your sexual health. Like, all of it. It's protecting yourself. It is ensuring your health. The moment people hear, like, the pill. Oh, my God, the pill. Mm-hmm. <gasps> For real, the pill? Mm-hmm. Like, you taking a pill? Why? <laughs> you, you're single. Why are you taking it if you're single? Wow. 
I had that conversation with my mom. Mm-hmm. She found out about it. Her first response was like, just wear a condom. And I'm like, that's not what I'm taking it for. Yeah. And then it was the whole idea of like, you're not seeing anyone, are you? Why are you taking the pill? Yeah. The pill is for me. Have you ever, have you ever had a two-day period? Phenomenal. Amazing. Have you ever had none? <laughs> oh, it's Immaculate. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And I personally hate not being on birth control. Even though I'm single, even though I'm not seeing anyone, we're in the middle of a pan dulce, I... (laughs) (laughs) That took me way too long to click. I was like, so that's how you say pandemic in Spanish. I was like, hell no, that's sweet bread. (laughs) A little deviation. I love on TikTok when they use any other word to describe the pandemic. Any word that starts with a P, they'll just be like, we're in the middle of a panoramic? We're in the middle of a... I'm like spacing on P words, but I find it so hilarious. So I, love I literally pandu- was like, yeah, pand- pandulce. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Gosh, that really threw me for a loop. I was like, really just... Mm, continue wait (laughs) wait a minute anyways i'm not seeing anyone i'm planning to see anyone but i still don't like not being on birth control because of benefits and i can control my body i can control when i want to have my period and if i want to have a period being on the pill so and also it clears up my skin really nice Mm -hmm. and that's always a benefit i would like to also say birth control you know, protecting against birth and also all these other benefits that we've talked about, like acne, hormonal imbalances, that kind of stuff, shortening, getting rid of periods, all sorts of things. But what it is not, it is not something that protects you from disease. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will think you're on birth control. I don't need a condom. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, disease is very real. And if you really want to know what stigma is like, have an STD, have an STI. That is societal, medical, all sorts of stigmas, okay? So when I say, if you're only concerned with contraception, birth control, all that stuff is pregnancy, my dear, you have another thing coming. You need to really take steps into thinking about, yes, avoiding being pregnant, but also the most important, and I will never forget my eighth grade health teacher being like, when I got married to my wife, or he didn't say married, he was like, when I decided to have sex with my wife, you know what we did? We held hands and skipped to the doctor's office to go get tested. Nice. For me, that is couple goals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is any sort of relationship goals. It really frustrates me when some people are just like, yeah, I don't... I don't want to wear a condom or I don't use condoms. And I'm like, forget the pregnancy part. Forget about that. I do not think you want a disease. I do not think anyone's out here being like, I mean, disease is just in God's plan. Let's normalize getting tested and asking your partner to get tested before engaging in any activity. Personally, Mm -hmm. I'm a paranoid person. I am so scared of any of this. So... I am not going to engage with a partner unless I've been checked and they've been checked. Mm-hmm. So I am not the spontaneous type. I'm not the like, oh my God, let's do this. You know, no. If we haven't had the conversation, if you haven't gotten tested and I haven't gotten tested, 
we are not doing anything. Mm-hmm. With that being said, and this is something I had to learn the hard way in. Let me just give you a little background with my partners. I attract the worst of the worst in the sense that I attract people who will bully me. Just be rude. Mm-hmm. And so of the times that I have been like, hey, have you gotten tested? Like, when's the last time you got tested? I have been accused of being like, just just kind of like bullied and made to feel awful for asking. That is a red flag, my dears. That is the biggest red flag out there because at the very best, they're hiding something. At the very worst, that hasn't even crossed their mind ever. Yeah. So y'all protect yourself because these men will not protect you they will not do it they don't care about their own health they do not care about your health Mm -hmm. and another thing too a conversation that you know it needs to happen in the queer community you still need to get tested um oftentimes there's a real homophobic rhetoric of like you need to get tested more um you're you're more at risk or you're more risque or you know just out there which i have great issues with that will be discussed at a later time but always get tested the three things i need to know about my future partner your birth chart your (laughs) test results and your love language those are the three things i need for a successful relationship (laughs) yeah and i implore you ask your partner for the same (laughs) Yes, it please do. Even if you get the results, still use a condom. Still mm-hmm. do it. Still use protection. Please, I implore you. I swear, I've had friends from college that have just honestly gone by by being lucky. And this is no shade whatsoever. I love y'all. But they telling me that they had multiple partners, no protection, nothing. And they came out unscathed. Honestly, y'all were just got, y'all just got lucky. And be thankful for that. But just because they were lucky doesn't mean you're going to get lucky. Mm-hmm. And not all of these diseases are transmitted via sexual acts. So a little bit of history for you. The AIDS epidemic, the 80s and 90s, wasn't just all of a sudden people were having a lot of unprotected sex everywhere. They were getting it through blood transfusions, through surgery, through sharing needles, through all of these things, get tested. Unsolicited advice of the day, out of context. Test, test, and test again. <laughs> if you're going to take anything away from this episode is get tested. Go to your Planned Parenthood and get tested. They will not judge you. They're so nice. They're always so nice. So Yeah. I tr- the way I trust Planned Parenthood folks, like, mm-hmm. they really out here doing God's work. And they're doing it with, like, all this slander and shame and threats to their lives. Yeah. Those are the people. Wow. Those are on my list of, like, (laughs) I can count on you. Yeah, they're always so nice and they give you so much. Every time I go, they're like, we get tested. We get checked. They're like, do you need condoms? Do you need emergency contraception? What do you need? We have everything to give you. Do you want to have a talk? Do you all the research? They're just so amazing and then they're often being threatened the Planned Parenthood here in Salem there's always protesters outside every every time I think about it I'm just like wow 
imagine what that energy could be put to like yeah that's untapped that's an untapped vein of potential for me my 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 personal philosophy your only concern is whether or not i'm getting all the resources and support i need to take care of myself that's the only thing you should be worried about you should only be worried about like damn are you are they all right do they need anything? How can I support? How can our government support? How can all of this stuff? That is the only thing that should be on your mind. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I just want to like for a moment. I want to. I want to gather all the people, all my my feminines and my uterus having folks. I want to grab them all and be like, all right, we going into this underground bunker. We're gonna be there for a week. Watch the world fall apart. Yeah. Half the population goes missing. Watch the world fall apart. Yeah, they they wouldn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But they want to be all up in our business. <laughs> all right, y'all. So I really appreciate y'all listening. And these are conversations that I know are hard to talk about, but they need to... Someone's got to say it. Because yeah. society, this world, our government has failed us. So we're doing God's work, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, we are. So, thank you for joining us. This has been Therapy Check. You know, follow us on our social media. You know, for me, you're going to find me on Twitter, Twitter only. Sorry, I ain't that savvy. <laughs> um, and that's going to be at Libra, Libra as in the star sign, Thugga, that is Thug with two G's and an mm-hmm. A. And then Andrea, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram. I do have that. It's going to be Andy underscore Taurus H-U. And then you can find me on Twitter, which is going to be T-O-R-R underscore R-R-E-S-1. And with that being said, thank you so much. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye.